Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Out of the Day with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We are promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and it is our responsibility, our obligation, our duty, week after week, every time that we're here on this show, on the air. It is our obligation, our responsibility, our duty, and our job. I love to share with you and empower our listeners to knowing, being, and doing, and impacting the world around us. And if there's any time, a day that that needs to be happening, it is such a time as this. And as always, you're welcome to join us in this on this illuminating journey. There's several ways you can do it. The main way you can do it, if you would like to get your thoughts, insights, uh, comments, commentary, whatever it may be, on the air live, you can do that by calling the number 347-237-5230. That is the number that you can call to get those thoughts on the air. We also have the chat room open. Simply go to blogtalkradio.com uh, slash zero the day, and you can join in the um, the chat room that is open. We also have uh, what else we got? We got so much, man. You can get us on the Facebook page at Zero Network. Follow us on Twitter at Prophesy. Hit me up on my email at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com. Share your thoughts, commentaries there. We're here. We're ready for you. And we have a good show. We have a question we're going to be asking today. Asking the question, does God call just any old body? It is, does God call anybody? Doesn't seem like somebody, everybody's just all of a sudden called to preach. We're going to talk about that because it's, it's an interesting phenomena, and particularly God's story about a pastor in Little Rock who, uh, by by, he, he just did some very strange things, and his led his congregation to discover the truth about this pastor, this bishop. So we're going to talk about that uh, and a couple other things. But before we go. 
As we get into the show today, as always, we like to solicit the Lord, uh, petition the Lord in prayer, and we will do so at this moment. God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the end of August that you've allowed us to come to see. Eight months that you've brought us through this year, through many times, trials, tribulations, we just say thank you, and we're grateful for it. Now, as we go forth into this episode of the show, God, we ask that you will let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. This is we ask in your name. Amen. Well, happy Wednesday. And like I said in the prayer, it is, <laughs> man, this year is going by so fast. It's hard to believe that next week will be in the month of September. And we got, you know, school has started. High school football games have started in some places, and uh, we—it's just amazing how how swift the time is moving. And uh, we're getting ready as here in the Eighth Episcopal District of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. We're getting ready. It is conference season, annual conference season. We're getting ready to uh, make our pastor reports and uh, do all the other things. Some will be ordained. Some will be appointed to different churches. So this is always an exciting time for us AMEs. When it's conference time, conference time, conference time. So that's where we are right now. And I'm excited about this year that I've had in New Bethel as pastor. The Lord is blessed. We had a phenomenal year. Did some amazing things. And even Sunday, I'm just mad. I'm just surprised that the Lord, you know, I, he just, I just like him. I love him. I love what he does. We baptized four children yes on Sunday. And it's just amazing, you know. Uh, they had their, their father had wanted them to be baptized, and I wanted to make sure they understood what it meant, and they were excited. You know, I, I, it makes me feel good when I see kids excited about church and excited about baptism and things of that nature. It gives me a hope. So it's just, it, I just love that. Anyway, as we get into this show today, let's. Uh, get into a couple of headlines. I I managed to catch uh, the season two opening uh, show for Preachers of L.A. Let me take a squeak of water on this one. And I was I I just couldn't figure out I couldn't figure out why they do a second season. I mean because I saw the little reunion show and it was a drama from the reunion show and I I know. We got drama. I know there's drama in the church. That's a book called Drama in the Church, by the way, uh, or play, something like Anyway, I know there's plenty of that, but, you know, to see uh, the preachers act behaving such such uh, on shows, on a, on a television show, kind of, I don't know, didn't work, didn't sit too well for me. But, uh, so I watched the, I watched the, uh, the episode, and... Well, something came up about Dietrich Haddon and his now wife, but during the taping of the show, when he was getting married, he had secretly gotten married, and uh, uh, then I, I think they had another wedding, and Bishop Noel Jones was supposed to officiate, but he was unable to officiate or attend, and so they asked another one of the cast members, Pastor Jay Hazlip, to officiate, and he did, and they were married, and then afterwards... They discovered uh, Hayslip discovered that Haddon's wife was pregnant with their second child, and he was kind of upset that they did not disclose that to him. And uh, the drama began from there because Diedrich, 
accused him of judging, uh, accused Haslip of judging him because uh, he brought up the, how uncomfortable he was officiating the wedding without knowing that uh, they were expecting a child. And so I could understand, I understood, um, I could understand why Haslip felt that way. Because, you know, that, it is kind of, in a degree, a little bit uh, 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 confusion. And he was talking about the integrity of his ministry and things of that nature as if he endorsed it. And, and as a pastor, I can see it. I married couples who had children out of wedlock. I wasn't as comfortable. Uh, you know, um, but, you know, it's it's the kind of world that we are in today. I think that she should have, uh, Haddon and his wife should have disclosed the fact that they were pregnant, but they hadn't even told their family yet. So it is what it is. Having said that, I'm just interested to see how the rest of the the season will turn out. I'm not going to be, I probably won't watch the entire season. I'll probably catch um, shows. But if you are, if you want to follow it, you can catch it on the Oxygen Network. I don't know what station it is, but you can look on your local uh, network and see what station it is. Um, I believe it comes on Wednesday evenings at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, somewhere. I don't know. But uh, if you want to catch it, keep up with the drama, you can. Uh, it was also an interesting thing. Uh, the uh the the bishop uh Clinton McClinton. Yeah, his he's that that dude is interesting. That's all I can say about him. That's an interesting character, uh, and whatnot. The adventures that he has in his ministry <laughs> and personal life. But you know, all preachers are not without personal affliction. And so hey, it is what it is. But uh, if you want to catch that show you can catch that that show uh, on the, the more domestic front, staying on the front. Uh, um, the incident with Michael Brown has come to one conclusion, and uh, Monday, if you call they they you they funeralized him, Michael Brown Monday, and um, you know it was just interesting seeing the, the people who were there. And unfortunately, you know, some of the people who got first-class treatment, well, not some of the people, but the celebrities who were there who got celebrity treatment. How do you get celebrity treatment at a funeral? I mean, that's sitting in, you know, I, I saw the auditorium or sanctuary, and, you know, the, the, the balcony of that church was packed. And the, the lower level was, you know, you had seats set aside just for... <laughs> celebrities and I'm like wow really is it that but you know that was their time to shine some and and about all the guys all the people the celebrities who were there Spike Lee Tom Joyner T.D. Jakes uh, of course uh, our favorite advocate um, <laughs> for black rights <laughs> Al Sharpton uh, Jamal Bryant and I, I believe uh, the senior bishop Bryant was in attendance, but I know his son, Jamal Bryant, was in attendance. I'm not sure if he was one of the speakers, but he had uh, previously led a, a service of some kind, some sort of reconciliation uh, in the city of Ferguson. Um, but, and uh, his uncle, his great-great-uncle, uh, did the eulogy, and I caught part of it. I didn't catch all 
dollars. But you can go on CNN and some other networks. I don't know if one network showed the entire uh, the entire funeral, but I'm sure you can catch it online, YouTube or something something like that. But uh, I still feel that they was exploiting him even at the funeral. I just felt it was exploited, and it's a sad. It's if that was the case. Uh, it's a sad thing if that was the case. Now, the, the issue is what's going to happen? You know, we know Sharpton's going back and he's going to try to find something else to get his head into. And I said that because that's what he does. That is what he does. You know, he doesn't do anything constructive. He only does enough to make sure that we know that he's still halfway relevant for people who don't know any better. And that's the only reason. He he still, you know, people just don't know any better. But um, I said all that to say what, you know, it's quieted down for the last uh, several days. No rioting, no nothing in the city of Ferguson. Matter of fact, there was a uh, group of young men. I forgot from what university they had on. And they had the black and gold shirts. And I don't know if they were with the fraternity or not. But they went and instead of attending the funeral, they went. And they sat at the site where he was killed, Michael Brown was killed, and lamented. And I caught a group, I caught a picture of the group online, and I just thought that was probably one of the greatest acts uh, some of these young men did. Because they, they present the image of hope. And as much as we don't want to, um, as much as we don't want to think that there is hope. There is hope, and these young men, college, edu- uh, hoping to be college educated, and they, some may continue, some may drop out. Uh, but they presented the image of solidarity as identity of black men. That not all black men are these thug wannabes. And I emphasize, Michael Brown was a thug wannabe. He was not a thug, as some have pen. You know, I don't think he was a thug, but you know, I I taught school. I taught high school. And I know how these kids are. Even the sweetest, gentlest kids are thug wannabes at times. They want to put forth the image that they hard. And, you know, the video that he put, that came out with him kind of strong-arming the clerk in the store, I, I don't think that disreputes his, his, his uh, reputation. It's just, you know, kids just want to – he had the size to kind of act tough, so he did. And I don't think that makes him a criminal per se. Uh Stealing is stealing, so yes, in that sense, he's a criminal. But uh, I, as as a, as a teacher, I came across a lot of kids, big and small. I had one kid; <laughs> he was small, but he was, you know, kind of built, you know, muscular, whatever. And and he, you know, he he was a thug wannabe, but uh, I believe he's he's doing well now. But that's the way children are. We cannot, and I hate the way some people have been trying to to. Uh, Mess his character to change, affect his character. They did the same thing with Trevon Martin, and likewise with the cop. You know, there are those who tried to disrepute, uh I can't talk to make the cop look bad. Cops are cops. They they have to act in split seconds. Whether this was racially driven, we I I don't think so, but uh, I do think that it was. His reaction after having such a aggressive rea- uh, encounter with Michael Brown, I think he 
responded the way most cops probably would have responded. I think it was an excess. I think it was an excessive response. But our, our, our prayers and thoughts go out to both families. The family, uh, the cop, uh, Darian, I think that's his name, whatever it is, the cop, and, of course, of Michael Brown's family. And not just Michael Brown's family, but there are plenty of families who are experiencing tragedies like this daily. And, you know, we're not mentioning the ones they get, you know, cops, are, if you've been following the news, they've been just putting out all this kind of craziness about cops because cops is now the 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 media craze. And they're finding all the stories they can find about bad cops or cops behaving badly, whatever it may be. And I don't think it's fair to the police who serve our community well. I don't think it's fair to the people who expect the community uh, expect the policemen to police, plain and simple. And uh, it, it is what it is. And so we have to do better as as people. We have to do better as as a community of humanity to serve the present age, our calling to fulfill. May it all our powers engage to do our master's will. So, having said that, that's my two cents, three cents, six pieces of dollars. Uh, there's a little bit more I want to talk about, but I, um, I'm not going to spend a lot more time. I'm going to take a break, and when we come back from the break, we get into the topic of the day. Does God just call any old body? <laughs> uh, and we want to ask the question, you know, how can you discern a fake preacher? How can you discern a fake preacher? How can churches better vet their preachers, those who say they are called to preach? And what are some processes, what are some things, some strategies that can be put in place to uh, to help ensure that we don't get deceived? And we'll talk about things that, that when we come back. And I'd like to hear your thoughts, insights, and opinions about any of the topics that you heard so far, the preachers of L.A., the, uh, anything about Ferguson, and anything about uh, the main topic that we are discussing. So, we love to hear from you. We invite you to give us a call, 347-237-5. We want you to do that. That is how you get it. And we're going to come back right after the break. each month? That's the first question we'll ask when you decide to start your own home business through IncomeAtHome.com. As a success coach, I'm here to guide people like Karen, who needs to earn serious money from home. We were living payday to payday, and with four teenagers at home, we were worried. By the third month, I was banking more than $2,600. After only 18 months, I was consistently earning more than $7,000 a month. Now, it's a six figure income and I'm paying cash for college for four kids. We found our way out of rat race. Listen, this isn't selling soap or energy water to your friends. This is a real business bringing potential customers to your computer so you can earn money 24-7. Incomeathome.com is affiliated with a multi-billion dollar company and carries a triple A rating. So how much money do you need to earn each month from home? Visit IncomeAtHome.com right now for your chance to win $1,000. 
friends, there's nothing as soothing as having a sweet aroma penetrate all of your senses. Peacock, the newest candle fragrance by Heatcentric, is that aroma. Peacock is a vegan hand-poured candle that fills the room with a soothing aroma that everyone is guaranteed to enjoy. Peacock by Heatcentric is the fragrance developed by Lady Jocelyn Sanders that's designed to reflect the glory in everyday life. I guarantee you are not disappointed when you order your candle today from Heatcentric. I have one at home and in my office, and I tell you, it's so good. It helps me relax at home, and it helps me concentrate and stay on task in the office. You need to order yours today by visiting LadySanders.com. And while they also pick up a copy of her book, The Encounter, I'm telling you, you will love both. Peacock by Heatcentric, reflecting the glory in everyday life. Who loves social networking as much as you? Identity thieves. They can find your personal information and do some serious damage, like your birthday or your mother's maiden name. You need a new friend, LifeLock. We scour billions of data points every day. And if we discover that any of your personal information is misused, LifeLock is there. Call us at 1-800-LIFELOCK or go to LifeLock.com today. It's our favorite, yours and mine, because we found it together on a walk, 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 love to walk, a long walk, a, a walk with you, a walk I smelled squirrels on, but I stayed by your side because I could tell, could feel that you had a bad day and me being bad wouldn't make it any better. But being there was already helping a little anyway. And then we found that wonderful thing waiting there, waiting for you and me. And you smiled and threw it. And I decided right when I picked it up, I would never, ever leave it anywhere, ever. Because that wonderful bouncy roll around thing had made you play. And that had made you smile. Put more play in your day. Beneful. Play. It's good for you. Welcome back to Zero Date. I'm back, your host, Pat Lorenzo Neal. And it's this great, wonderful hump day here. It's it's hot, but you know what? I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to go ahead and, and enjoy the day. So having said all of that, let's get into the topic of today. This is a topic that I just, <laughs> it makes me laugh, but, you know, preachers can talk about preachers because we preachers. And preachers sometimes understand preachers, most times we don't, but... It's always a fascinating topic to discuss. So the question is, is God called just about anybody? Is anybody can call get you know called preaching? And I, I asked that question in light of several stories, particularly, and this is probably the most disgusting thing that I hate. I I I I, I hate, you know, preachers, people 
going into ministry to have access to those who are vulnerable. When I say those who are vulnerable, I'm talking about uh, children, uh, women, um, uh, seniors. And, and, and I say this because, you know, we're finding in the church today, particularly here in America, not as much in overseas in the West, but here in America, we're finding we're having more cases of uh, clergy taking advantage of those who are the most vulnerable, particularly children. There are cases, several cases right now, uh, of pastors who are molesting children in their congregations or clergy who are not pastors, but they're youth pastors and youth ministers or work in some capacity at the church who are molesting children, boys and girls. And then you have uh, the preachers who are greedy and they're manipulating uh, they're manipulating people to, you know, just live, you know, just live green. There's stories of uh, pastors taking advantage of seniors. Uh, you know, some there's a scam that's going on, and I call it a scam. And in some in some ways it's good, some ways it's bad. But there there's there's a scam, uh, a new trend that's happening uh, where uh, pastors or investors are getting the elderly to leave endowments to their church now now. Why do I call that a scam? Because in a way, yes, it's good. It ensures the posterity financially for the church. It's a good investment because we know some churches are going to live long. Uh, not by, not these fly-by-night churches, but I'm talking about the, the great old ship of Zion Missionary Baptist Church that's 150 years old. <laughs> it ain't going anywhere. Or the great uh, Mother Bethel AME Church. <laughs> it ain't going nowhere. And they're leaving endowments, you know, they're... Uh, they're bequeathing their their uh, their their endowment to these churches. When they pass away, you know, the church receives part of that. And I have something similar to that. In that, if I, right now, if something would have happened to me, uh, the Lord forbid, something would have happened to me. Uh, the church is a beneficiary in my will. So, you know, the church will get you know they get break off a little something. something. Uh, but what I'm saying, when it's a scam because some preachers are manipulating elderly into doing that. They're not doing that with full knowledge. You know, they love their church. Seniors love their church, and some pastors take advantage of that. And they're manipulating the elderly and, uh, into some scams. And then, there's, of course, those preachers that just like to be holes in the church. Yes, I said holes. I know Jamal Bryant said these holes ain't loyal. Uh, and I'm saying that on the air. God, y'all forgive me, but there unfortunately is, is this is this is actually more the norm that we care to admit, where where pastors are taking advantage of their members, both male and female. You have female pastors uh, or clergy who are running through the men in the church, and of course we know the men run through the some women in the church, uh, and and it's just it's just crazy. But what about what would you do if you discovered that your pastor was a whole other person, had a complete separate identity, what would you do? You have elected this person to be the pastor of your church, or he has started the church and you joined the church, and all of a sudden you discover that this person is not who they say they were. Well, that is the case. <laughs> uh, that is the case of a church in Little Rock, Arkansas. It happened that, um, well, let me set this up. Let me set this up. If you've never seen the movie 
one of my favorite movies is The Apostle, and it stars uh, Robert Duvall. And Robert Duvall uh, has Billy Bob Thornton in it. And Robert Duvall plays a preacher who commits a crime. You know, he I guess he you know he was an itinerary. He did the evangelist thing, and he had his own church, and whatnot. And but he committed a crime and ended up going on the run. And while he was on the run, he uh, changed his identity, became Apostle EF, uh, and and went to a small town in South Louisiana, started the ministry, launched the ministry, and it began to be successful. People was being uh, transformed, and all of a sudden, they finally, uh, you know, the law finally caught up with him, and there's a uh, dramatic scene at the end of the movie where he's in the middle of a church service, and he's preaching, and the state troopers walk in, and he continues preaching, and they finally escort him out to church. But he, yeah, all of this happened, uh, and in the process, he had changed so many lives, so so many lives. So, but uh, that was my way of trying to set up this story. You know, this pastor uh, in Little Rock uh, was went by the name of uh, what is his name? I just had it. Ah, uh, yes. Carlos Norwood, but he went by the name of Bishop Jacob J. Taylor, and he was the pastor of Power Pack International Ministries in Little Rock. And um, his members had a sad revelation become uh, disclosed when uh, he laundered some money from a member, uh, 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 group of members or whatever I think I can't recall the story I got the story uh, there's several places but I went to one of my best sources I go to is uh, um, Church Folk Revolution Revolution you can go there penpreacher.com and find that story along among many other ones uh, uh, my good friend TJ and others on that and that group do now here's here's uh, here's the thing so uh, this bishop whose real name was Carlos Norwood, is Carlos Norwood, was uh, was supposed to go into a joint business venture I, uh, venture with one of his members, but he took the, the check that the members gave and he, he, or he forged the check, uh, whatever he did, he embezzled the money to do something for a car, either purchase a car or get car tags or something for his personal use. And they caught wind of it. Of course, they found charges. And in the process of finding charges, not only did they discover that he was a level three sex offender, but they also discovered that he had started several other businesses and nonprofits that, you know, you know, were defunct, and he was using them as money making. But he had also was on parole in the state of California, and they, you know, they finally connected the dots and saw that this person, Carlos Dorwood, is this person, Bishop Jacob J. Taylor. And these people had been sitting on him preaching. Their children were there, and they discovered that he was a registered sex offender who was not even supposed to be in the presence of children. And not only that, but he was a, a crook. He had a, a, an arrest record. He was on parole. He had not violated his parole. He was regularly checking in with his parole officer and was still, and nobody uncovered that he was, this was this person. 
that Carlos Norwood and this bishop was the same person. And it was it's it's scary to me to imagine such a thing. It's scary, and I can only I I, I sympathize. I can't empathize with them, but I sympathize with these people who not only got swindled financially by this man, but got swindled spiritually by this man who claimed to be a man of God. And, you know, we hear the stories. I hear plenty of stories of preachers gone bad. You know, you're going to hear those stories. Preachers gone bad, preachers doing bad things, uh, et cetera, et cetera, so forth and so on. But the problem... Uh, the problem, I believe, always begins at the beginning. When the person comes to a church and say they are called to preach, how can that church determine whether they not whether or not they are? Now, and, and, and I get this all the time now. I was called to preach as a child. I accepted my call to preach when I was 12 years old, and. I went through a four-year, it took me four years. My pastor let me shadow him for four years before he licensed me to preach. Now, I was speaking, but I wasn't preaching. Some of you may say, well, that's the same thing. Well, when you're a child, it's not really the same thing. You know, I was, you know, doing a youth day here, youth day there, you know, speaking at schools and assemblies and things of that nature um, before I spoke behind the pulpit. And when I was speaking behind the pulpit, I, I learned. I mean, I spent so much time. My pastor had, had made sure that I understood the question. When I went to him and told him that I was called to preach, first thing he said, well, did you ask God for a sign? I'm like, no, I didn't ask God for a sign. Was I supposed to ask God for a sign? I just believed I was called. He said, go back and ask God for a sign. And the Lord will show you a sign to let you know you were called to preach. And he told me what his, you know, when he did that, what the Lord showed him. And so I believed, and I went back, and I didn't get an immediate sign, so I kind of got scared and discouraged because I, I knew I had this feeling, this sense that I was called to preach, but I didn't get a sign. You know, I kept looking for a sign. I kept asking God for a sign, and I didn't get the sign. I, not then. Eventually, the Lord showed me uh, something that I, I credit as being the sign. You know, and I can't recall it well. It, it was it had something to do with trees and the sun. And <laughs> if I tell you, you, think I'm crazy, but just know I believe that to be my sign. <laughs> and I shared this with my dad. My dad shared his, his the sign that the Lord showed him when he was called to preach and uh, things of that nature. So the question is, how do we vet a preacher? Now, uh, in political, in, in the political world and in the corporate world, you know. You don't just up and become a manager. You don't just up and become a CEO. You don't just up, even if you start your own business, you have some kind of background, some type of experience in in, in what you're doing. Either Like if you're going to start a food, a restaurant, you know, you're a cook. You cook in the kitchen or, you know, you're something of that nature. You don't just up and say, well, I've never cooked a day in my life, but today I'm going to open a restaurant. Because I felt led to be a chef, <laughs> but that's how it functions in the church. The, the the ministry is the only place, the only place where you could just have no experience whatsoever, come up with any kind of story, a testimony, 
and pronounce it before the people and say, God called me to preach. It is the only place where you can have no experience whatsoever and say, the Lord laid it on my heart to do such and such ministry, and now I'm pastor. It is the only place, the only place in the entire world of all kinds of entities, it is the only entity that allows anybody to say that they're called to preach. I know, and, and when you look at it from that perspective, it is very, very scary. And in spite of this, many people, even after being vetted, some people still slip through the cracks. You're not going to get every last one. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that is possible. I, 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 because uh, even with some of the best systems in place, uh, and even after some people have been in for all for years, some still slip through the crack. What do you mean by that? I'll give you my church example. The African Methodist Episcopal Church has a system, a system of examining when people who announce that they are called to preach, we have a process. And it's usually about a five-year process, usually. That's if you have all your line, all your everything in, in place perfectly. It'll take you about five years to get uh, the ordination of elder in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And if you don't, you know, it could take up to 10 years because of some of the mandates and the requirements uh, to enter ministry here. It's not a simple process. I've had several persons express interest to sit under my ministry. <laughs> and, and when I tell them, I say, well, you're welcome to sit under my ministry. But if you're going to be a part of our ministry, this is the process that you have to take. And most of them skip, you know, they jump the boat after realizing that it's not a an easy process. And I wish it, I, you know, I wish it was easy, but it's not. But, and I, again, you know, I started this thing young. And I was ordained, I was licensed and ordained when I was young. Uh, I think I was I was a teenager. I was a child, preteen when I accepted my call to preach. I was a teenager when I uh, entered full public ministry. And I was, uh, I think it was 20, when I was ordained, the first ordination as a Baptist. And i never forget this. i never forget this. Dr. L.K. Solomon, who was the pastor at Indiana Street Baptist Church in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, he was the dean of the presbytery for the, um, uh, the district that I was in. He was moderator. He was dean. Uh, and um, when I came in, after being examined by the pastor and by the church, and they recommended me to go before the uh, presbytery, he looked at me and said, is this a joke? This is a child. Because I looked, I did look like a kid. I mean, I looked like I was about 14, 15. <laughs> but Dr. L.K. Solomon, he, you know, I, was, I had been trained properly. Uh, my pastor at the time, Dr. L.J. Uh, R.J. Lysey, Jr., the second... He was my pastor, and Dr. Lysi, if you're listening, hey, bro, appreciate all you've done for me. And uh, I got to give him a shout-out. And Dr. Lysi has stood by my side, and uh, he was like, he's, he's got it. We, you know, we've examined him. That's why we're presenting you to him, him to you. And, you know, I answered the questions 
of all the interrogations because there was a bunch of them preachers there. And they just, I mean, they they came down on me hard. And, you know, after they uh, they had my, my background information and things of that nature, and they approved me. And uh, Dr. Solomon later preached my ordination sermon and ordained me as a prophet. <laughs> and and I, I, I was blessed. I was one of the few young college preachers who was able to preach in his pulpit because he didn't allow just anybody in his pulpit. Uh, and there's some friends on Facebook who had attested this. He did not, and I had the privilege to preach in his pulpit on several occasions while I was a college student. So, um, And the Lord blessed when I joined the African Methodist Episcopal Church again. Had to go through that process and re-obligated under Bishop uh, Frederick Talbert and uh, ordained an elder. And went to seminary and all of that stuff that I had to do to, to go through the process. But you'd be surprised how many people don't want to go through the process. And how many people, that's why they start their own church. They don't have anybody to be accountable to. They don't have to say yes, sir, to anybody. They just start their own ministry and find somebody to to validate their ministry, whether they know them or not. You know, <laughs> I'm under such and such covering. I'm under such and such covering. Now, I'm an apostle, and God called me. Yeah, right. God called you, but you still got to be accountable to anybody, somebody. So, so you know, I I I I I sympathize with those members of uh, the Power Pack International Ministries, <laughs> Ministries International, whatever it may be. Uh, but, but but Paul does give some some insight into this, and what I like about Paul, and uh, he, he just tells it like it is, and here's some things. This is how I would scream, you know, a preacher. First, I will ask them about their salvation. You know, how did you know you were saved? Well, what did you know? And don't give me that I just felt, you know, I prayed and I felt or I got delivered for such and such and I knew. No, you know, sometimes that's good, but that that may be uh, an experience that not lead to your salvation. How did you know you had a saving faith in Christ? That's the first question I was at. I would ask. How did you know that you had a saving faith in Christ? You know. And then they can answer that I simply believed once I heard the word preached and it pricked my heart and I believed. Then, you know, that's susceptible. If they give me a roundabout answer, I'm going to be skeptical. Skeptical. The other thing is, you know, everybody has a testimony. And I know a lot of people, a lot of these preachers, they like to talk about how they were once in the streets. And I never had that experience. I cannot, my testimony, I never did drugs. I never, you know, I wasn't an alcoholic. I didn't drink. I didn't do I, You know, I was the straight and narrow, nerdy kid. That is not my testimony. I've been a church boy all my life. You know, I, I grew up in the hood, so I observed some of that stuff. And uh, my brothers may have engaged in some of that thing. But me personally, that's my tes- not my testimony. My testimony was not I was a whoremonger and got delivered. That's not my testimony either. I wasn't there. I, when I tell you I was the squeaky clean church boy, that was me. <laughs> One of the few. It probably existed. So I don't have that. But when people share their testimony and they share things like that, they share that, uh, that you know, they they were delivered for such and such and uh, that now feel called to, to minister in, in, in the gospel. And I say, okay, that's good, but does that mean that you're called to preach? And some people get mad at me when I say, yeah, that, I'm glad 
That's part of your testimony. But does that mean that you were called to preach because you felt being delivered, you had a greater calling to do something? Well, maybe you just need to tell your family members to stop doing it or tell your neighbors or, you know, serve in an advocacy group of some kind or, uh, uh, you know, an addiction group of some kind. Maybe that's your, maybe it's not called to preach. Secondly, you know, I know a lot of people who are just so, they just charismatic. They can draw a crowd, and they can keep the crowd's attention. Um, I was watching a video of a guy who's giving a commencement address for his college, and when I tell you this guy sounded like a preacher, and I'm not sure if he was one or not, but he went through the ABCs of, of life, all the way to Z, and by the time he got to Z, you know, folk were ready to shout. If he had had an organ, <laughs> they probably would have put a put a little run to it or something like that. Egged them on. I, I don't know. But it was a wonderful speech. But does it? But did his articulation and his oration make him a preacher? And I think about all these comedians who can imitate the black preacher or singers. Uh, the blues singers can tune up and hoop just as good as preachers, but does that make them a preacher? Yeah, you know, think about Al Green. <laughs> probably this is probably the best story. Al Green has this experience with the hot grits, and upon recovering and recuperating from that experience, he realizes that he had been dodging his call to preach, and he enters the ministry. And in entering the ministry, you know, he starts his own church, uh, and the church is still thriving today. He has not left the ministry. He has still had a successful recording career, although some have questioned, you know, whether he should be recording secular songs as a, as a preacher. But, hey, you know, he's an established soul artist. It is what it is for him. That's how he made his income before. That's how he should, well, I'm not saying he should continue to it, but, you know, a lot of people made babies to him, so that's the way it is. But Paul presents, you know, Paul Paul gives this challenge. Uh, no, he gives guidelines. First Timothy uh, chapter 3 and again in chapter 4 and in, in Titus chapter 1. If you read particularly in First Timothy chapter 3, he says, If any man desires the office of a bishop, he must be such and such. And he goes on through those guidelines. Let me see if I can find it, pull it up real quick. Um, uh, yeah. He talks about deacons and overseers. And in, in, our, in our faith communion, a deacon is a, pre, is a preacher because we have two orders. In, in most of in the Episcopal Church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, uh, all, all Methodist communions, all Episcopal communions, all Catholic communions, we have two ordinations. You're ordained a deacon first, and the deacon is is a clergy, and you're able to do all the things uh, with limited, you know, you have limited responsibilities, limited duties. And then you have the second ordination, which is that of elder or priest. And that basically entitles you to full uh, communion and pastoral uh, authority. And we take a vow, take that authority to perform such and such sacred acts, whatever it may be. And and Paul addresses this in First Corinthians, I mean First Timothy three. If a man aspires to be this office of bishop, in in the Greek, of course, the word bishop is, uh, is episcopos, but uh, presbytery, pastor, elder, bishop, deacon, 
they're all the same word, uh, pretty much intention, the same word. And I don't have my, you know, I'm not a Greek scholar. I wish I were, but basically, uh, Paul assesses the same position, authority. He says that, uh, above reproach, husband and one wife, temperate, proven, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, <laughs> gentle, peaceable, free from the love of, ooh, free from the love of money, uh, one who manages his own household, keeping his children under control, um, understanding how to do what he needs to do to take care of his house, not a new convert. So that's the, that's that's one thing that's clear. Not supposed to be new. If you just and I had a lot of pro, I if you just got saved, you don't get saved and then get called to preach. Now some people use Paul's own experience against him because if you if you go by text in Acts chapter nine, Paul is converted. You know, he gets knocked off the horse and you read that narrative there. You see the experience that he has. Then he is blinded, his eyes are open, and shortly thereafter he begins to preach Christ, shortly after his conversion. And some people use that excuse me, that narrative uh to kind of cancel out what he says about being a novice because it implies that Paul himself was a novice when he began preaching. But Paul was a rabbi. And Paul understood that having having had it explained to him through scriptures, he understood through scripture uh, what Christ, the meaning of you know uh, uh, of Christ. And Paul also had uh, revelation in that he did not he was not jointly connected to to uh, Jesus of Nazareth, but by way of revelation, after being converted, he was he had experience. That uh, he writes about Second um, Corinthians 12 and all that, but he writes about that and talks how by mystery of divine revelation he is able to carry out the ministry, and right and, and rightly so. But um, so and, and then in verse in chapter four it says, "Don't let anybody despise you, but being an example and uh, being example and speech, conduct, love, faith, purity." Uh, give attention to public reading of scripture and exhortation and teaching and pay close attention to yourself verse 16 chapter 4 pay close attention to yourself and your teaching persevere in all these things as you do this you will receive salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you so it's pretty it's pretty clear the expectation Paul had yes this may be uh, relegated to his disciple Timothy but it also is applicable to clergy of the day and then in Titus 1 uh, chapter uh, Titus chapter 1 you see another little um, Paul pretty much regurgitates some of the same expectations of ministry that he writes in in, um, in Timothy to the letter the, the, uh, to Timothy in his letter uh, so what does that mean for us today how, how can we how can we do that how can we, uh, as clergy and as church members, how can we rightly discern whether a man or a woman is in ministry for the right reason? How can we discern whether they are qualified and unqualified 
for leadership in ministry? And how can we guard ourselves from being embarrassed because of scandal? Now, just because somebody goes through the process, and, and this is really critical, because somebody, if, there, if there's a process in place that someone goes through, does not necessarily mean that they're not something that they aren't. We have had plenty of Jake-led preachers come through the AME system. You know, and it's not an easy system to get through, but some make it through. You know, they persevere. They go through the board of examiners. They even go to seminary and get their seminary degree. And they are appointed to a church and tear the church up. You know, literally tear the church up. They go, they're appointed to another church and tear that church up. Some have been appointed as presiding elders, overseers, and, and ruined districts. How can you determine it? It is very difficult to do so. But one thing that can be assured is that at least there should be some kind of process in place. Uh, this is some things I suggest. Uh, first of all, it, you need to be able to, to see some things. Observe marital and family relations, their relationships. How do they interact with their wife, their husband, their children? Their friends, because this is a key to how they are as an individual. If they seem uh, controlling to their wife or to their children, well, you know, it's kind of hard to say that for children. But if they if if, if if they seem not so benevolent towards their children, if they're not giving, as Paul said, do benevolence to their wife, then that should be questionable. You know that you need to question that. If, uh, you know, because I know a lot of preachers and families, they love the fake, you know, because on Sunday morning, even when I was married, my ex-wife and I, we could fake. We could fake when we, to appear to look happy for two hours on Sunday. <laughs> and I'm sure there are a lot of couples that do that. Uh, but, you know, just, you can interact. You, you, get, you can discern some things. Um. And don't be afraid to question the background and their calling. Don't be afraid to ask them the hard question about their calling and their salvific experience. And don't settle for some cheap answer. You know, not anything long and drawn out. One of the things I, I do, and it's partly required, it was required, not so much required, but if you're going to seminary, it's required, to give your, give a, uh, Detail your spiritual narrative, your spiritual journey, you know, your salvific experience. If you can write it down with clarity, then, you know, nine times out of ten, you're not making it up. Uh, if they can articulate it in a way that's not beating around the bush, if it's passionate, that's good, but that doesn't always mean that it's right. So, you know, just be careful of that. Um, you know, um, examine them outside of the church. Don't be afraid to, to watch what they do outside the church. You know, if they drink a little bit too much outside the church, you might want to question that. If they are, uh, you know, a bit extra flirty inside the church and outside the church, you may want to question But then again, that may be some people's personality. Uh, and I have... 
we require a full psychiatric evaluation for all clergy that are entering in the ministry and in the process of ordination. We require that. And uh, I have done it at one church, and I will do it at, you know, I haven't done it at this church, but uh, personality uh, evaluations may be necessary, you know. Have them take some of those tests, series, or whatever it may be. Listen, I got to take a quick break. And I will be back right after this. identity theft on more than one occasion and I gotta tell you it's never been a pleasant experience trying to clean up the mess afterwards that's why I decided to find a safe and secure way of protecting my identity and my good name through LifeLock. LifeLock is more than just a credit monitoring service it provides full identity protection and monitoring and scanning for any threats to your identity so it can also quickly respond to it now here's the other good thing I really love about LifeLock is that it offers a guarantee of up to $1 million should you ever become a victim of identity death while using LifeLock. LifeLock is not an expensive thing. Plans start as low as $10 a month. I, I tell you, you ought to go there and check them out. Visit their website, www.lifelock.com, or call 1-800-607-7205 and enroll today, and I guarantee you will start to feel safer the minute you get it. LifeLock, you'll love it. Jackson State University is not just another university. It's a community. It's a family. And that's not all. Jackson State University is a national leader in biomedical research and development. With world-class science, math, engineering, and technology departments. At Jackson State University, we're leading the way in technology and innovation. One Jackson State University, changing lives one student at a time. And I uh, had to take a quick break, and we're back from the break. I'm glad to be back. Uh, we're just short on time here, but I, I uh, we'll, we'll probably be going off the air live, but we'll be continuing on for a few more minutes. 
And I, I before I had to take that break, uh, we were talking about some of the things that you could do, uh, churches could do, individuals can do, to kind of vet individuals called to preach, uh, or who want to pastor, or want to be in leadership at church. We said one of the things, one thing is to examine the families, you know, kind of watch their interactions with family, friends, uh, watch how they behave inside, outside the church, and don't be afraid to ask the hard question about their salvific experience. Don't be afraid to question them. And if they can articulate it, then there's a good chance that, you know, they may be authentic. Sex and, uh, and, um, I was telling you, uh, you know, we have the psychiatric evaluation uh, that's required for all preachers, all clergy who are entering the ministry and in the process of ordination. But I also think churches should be uh, a little bit more assertive when it comes to mandating uh, the same for you know for their for the clergy. I, I, you know, make sure that at least once a year they go get an evaluation, a psychological evaluation from a uh, a licensed professional counselor, therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever it may be, because they may need to uh, release that. They, I, well, I know may need to. They will, because sometimes ministry is a is a lonely job. It is a difficult job. It ain't the best job. It's, I don't know why some people think it's a fancy because it isn't. But I think that along with a full national background check, federal background check, that the FBI go through, run the records, and see what comes up. And it amazes me how many people, how many churches uh, know that pastors have criminal history and allow them to pastor. Now, I believe completely in redemption. I know about redemption. Um, I know God can save. He can deliver and make you a new creature because that's what we advocate as, as Scripture says. Uh, but still, you know, there's some who is just, They'll use it just to use it to get advantage, take advantage of people. And unfortunately, sometimes we find it's too late. We have an incident that's going on right here in Mississippi that's interesting in, in, in a way. There's a pastor who has been accused of raping a juvenile while he was working at a public school here in Jackson. And he uh, was alleged to have raped this child, and he resigned from the job that he had at, with this local school, local, local public school, uh, and, but he did not resign from being a pastor. And the church just came together not long ago. They came together, and they were deciding they were going to have a vote as to whether to um, put him out or keep him. And I believe they had so many... I don't know how many members they had, but they had enough persons that required the two-third majority, and about 50 people voted to keep him as pastor. He has been indicted. He has not been convicted yet, but he has been indicted. Uh, he turned himself in, and, you know, he was arrested. He is out on bail. He's been preaching. And the members decided that they would keep him as the pastor. Now, they didn't, they, it was not determined whether they would change their decision 
if he gets convicted. Well, I hope they do, because if he gets convicted, that means he'll have to do jail time. Uh, and people were calling these church members crazy. They were saying, y'all fools, because you have this preacher who has been indicted, and unfortunately, this is like the third one within a very short amount of time that has has done has been indicted of such thing. And one was driven away from his church. The other one, uh, I think he quietly stepped down. Uh, it didn't make the news, but he quietly stepped down. It made the news <laughs> for the black church community, but it didn't make the news news. This one made the news news. Um, so he, uh, but the, the conflict is whether the, you know the people were following their heart because they believe that he's a man of God and everybody makes mistakes. That's their logic that most people are assuming, and they, you know, everybody, everybody deserves a second chance kind of thing. We reported to you a story not long ago about the pastor in uh, down in Florida who had five different chances, and in each chance that he had at every church, he uh, molested another child, and then his new church, in order to keep their pastor, decided that they would uh, ban the children. They would not allow the children to come into the sanctuary, and they, the judge recently amended the pastor's uh, probation so that the children can be supervised in the service. But it calls the question, uh, are we just that desperate to have people preaching that we will allow them any, you know, we'll just allow them, even if we know that they're living immorally, even if we know that they're not living up to expectations, small expectations. I mean, that we got preachers not even living to small expectations anymore. It used to be, you know, it was okay for them to drink and to smoke, you know, when they did it outside the church. But, you know, they're not even trying to hide the fact of doing that. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Um, now, I got to wrap this up because we've gone over time. Uh, I, I think... This is just me. If we are better at demanding holiness for ourselves, and I'm not talking about legalistic, you know, no no legalism stuff, you know, where the only outward things matter. I'm talking about an authentic holy, sense of holiness and sanctification for ourselves based by faith, that we would then see the same with the clergy that, we aspire to have in our church ministering to us. I think it's just just that fair. We cannot have a double standard, and which is unfortunately has been happening, where members can live any way they want to, but the preacher has to be specific, you know, greater than the member. Uh, to set the equilibrium straight, I think that has the, to create the balance. The members have to demand holiness and sanctification, greater sense of holiness and sanctification for themselves before they demanded for the clergy. And I think that would that would help some. But it, you know, there'll always be some somebody who just saying they call to preach and somebody gonna give them a chance just because of that. Um but we have to be careful. We gotta do better. And this is not a black church thing, it's not a white church thing. It's unfortunately <laughs> it's both, anybody. And so that we we just need to do better. But anyway, I hope everybody have a, have a wonderful rest of the week. We are uh, uh, we won't be on air next week. 
I don't believe we'll be on the air next week. Uh, we're getting ready for our annual conference, so we got a lot of stuff to do. But uh, we'll be back when uh, when we get back out of annual conference and have some wonderful topics. We've got some great people that we'll be interviewing uh, coming up in the next several weeks. We've got some great shows, topics, and we want to hear from you. Uh, give us a topic you think you may be interested in. We'd love to see if we can uh, uh, address it. To <laughs> uh, Whatever it is, we just thank God for for you, our listeners, every week allowing us to do this show, and we 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 thank you for your support. And as always, you know, you want to leave a comment, you can do that. Go to the show page on Facebook, the Zero Network. Leave a comment. Uh, go to the go to Black Talk Radio and like the show and subscribe to it. Send me an email, Pastor Lorenzo Neal at gmail dot com. We love to hear from you. We love you. You're supporting it, and uh, you make this show worth it. We just thank you. So till then, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, I gotta get out of here. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful Labor Day. Holiday.